Let's have a word of prayer and then, and then we'll read the Scripture and, and then we'll go into the sermon. Now, Father in Heaven, um, I'm asking You to speak through me. I'm giving You permission. It's Your message, Lord, and uh, we just ask that Jesus be lifted up today so that we can be drawn to You. We want a deeper and more meaningful relationship with Jesus. And we ask this in His name. Amen. Uh, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, if you have them, or you can look on, on here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, Paul says, For I determined to know nothing among you except what? Yeah. He says, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ, but not just Jesus, right? What else did he know about Jesus? Him crucified, right? Now, you don't have a bulletin, but the title, the sermon title is Jesus Only. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But isn't the message more than just Jesus Only? Uh, I mean, Paul, the Bible would be pretty small if that's all it was, wouldn't it? I mean, Paul, he wrote 14 books in the New Testament. And... He taught a lot more than just Jesus Christ and Him crucified, didn't He? He taught about influence, stewardship, uh, many other things in, in His writings alone, right? So what does Paul mean when he says to the church of Corinth, he says, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And it got me to thinking, and Paul's a fanatic, you know that? Paul is a very fanatical. Before he met Christ on the road to Damascus, he was a fanatic, wasn't he? And then after he met Christ on the road to Damascus, he was still a fanatic, but a different kind of fanatic, wasn't he? He was like, yes, his focus was in one spot, in one spot only, wasn't it? He was a person filled with excessive and single-minded zeal. And that's what a fanatic is. Paul, another definition is for, for a fanatic is wherever you be, whatever you begin with, you'll always end with it as well. And you can see that in the writings of Paul, can't you? That Paul determined to know nothing among people except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He began with Him crucified and he would end with it, wasn't he? And I think... Well, I know from personal experience that that's important in our lives. You know, Ellen White says, if we would just spend a thoughtful hour a day meditating, reading the Bible, especially in what? The last hours of Him. Yeah. My prayer today is I hope that this message your personal studies, my personal studies, that they always begin with Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That is so important. A transformed life. You know, transformed lives are a result of time spent with Jesus. I'm saying it again. A transformed life is a result, a direct result of time spent with Jesus. And you know what's, I wouldn't say funny, but what's bad about that for us, is we're so uh, slow to learn that 
And then we are so quick to forget that. You know that? Has that been in your experience in your personal life? That's been mine. That has definitely been mine. Jesus says in John twelve thirty two, Jesus says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to Myself. Verse 33 says, But He was saying this to indicate the kind of death by which He was to die. Do you want to be drawn to Jesus? And that's not a question I just want you to take lightly. Do you really want to be drawn to Jesus? You know, it's real easy to play church, isn't it? I've been guilty of that too in my past. And so the question of do we want to be drawn to Jesus, I don't think we should just take it lightly and say, yeah, I do. You know, we should really think about that. Because there's some serious consequences when we say yes, isn't there? Our lives are transformed. They change. If you want to be more loving, if you want to be more forgiving, that's sometimes very hard to do. If you want to be kind, if you want to be compassionate, Jesus says you have to lift Him up. Because He was all of those things, wasn't He? You can see story after story after story in the Bible where people were coming to Jesus, and we're going to look at one today, where they're trying to trap Him. I mean, He was hanging on the cross, and what did He say while He was hanging there? Say that louder. Yeah, why? Imagine that. I mean, imagine if your enemy nails you to a cross. Would you say that? It's easy to love the lovable, isn't it? But it's not so easy to love the unlovable. But Jesus does. And if you want to be more like Him, if you want to be drawn by Him, you have to lift Him up. John chapter 3, Jesus says in verse uh, 15, I'm sorry, 14, Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in Him will have eternal life. In chapter 6 of John, verse 65, this, this might shock you if you haven't read this. Jesus says, For this reason I have said to you that no one, not just any, no one, can come to Me unless it has been granted to Him from the Father. We can't even go to Christ unless it's been granted to us from the Father in Heaven. Let's get into our story this morning. Let's turn over to chapter 8. And uh, we'll look at verse uh, 53 in chapter 7. You know, Jesus had been teaching all day. And after He was done, verse 53 says, Everyone went to His home. And then if you look at chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus didn't go home, did He? It says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. What do you think He went there for? To pray, to spend time with His Father in heaven, didn't He? You know, every day Jesus spent personal time with His Father before He went out and ministered to the people. 
Do you think our lives should be any different? I, I've learned that it has to be a priority. Otherwise, the busyness of life gets in the way of personal time with Jesus. Have you experienced that? I mean, you have to start your day with it before it gets too busy and you don't have time. You know, my, I share a little bit about myself. You know, I haven't always done that. Uh, there's been times in my life where, you know, I've continued to go to church and all, but that hasn't been a priority. And I can tell a difference in my life. You know, and, and I can tell a difference when I do do it too. Um, I, I, when I do do it, I have divine appointments. You know, it's weird how I'll run into people and I don't know if it's because I'm having the divine appointments if I've always had them or if I'm just seeing them and unaware of them. You know what I mean? I don't know if God's putting those, always putting those in my path. But I do know that when I do spend time with Him, I'm more aware of them and I see them. Uh, you know, I haven't preached in a long time except for a couple, uh, about two months ago or less. A church asked me. And you know what? It was about two weeks prior to that that I started making this a practice in my life again and spending time with Him. Now the blue, this guy calls and says, Hey, would you speak here at the church? You know, and how, how could you say no? <laughs> and a lady at a lady at work that text, takes our temperatures when we go to work, uh, you know. Just I, and I'm the type of person I, I go in, I get my stuff, and I leave, and I, when I get done, I I go home. I'm I'm not wasting any time at all. But for some reason, I took the time to talk to her one day. Found out that she was a grew up as an Adventist, uh, knew a lot of the same people that I do. I got to invite her to my church. Um, our, our our sermon does our pastor does. Um, a Facebook Live message at 3 o'clock every day. Uh, turned her on to that. And, uh, you know, she was searching for something in her life. She admitted to that. And I tell you this because these types of experiences happen in my life when I spend time with Jesus, when I make it a priority. And I know it will happen in your life too, as long as you just don't say no, as long as you're willing So let's look at uh, chapter 8 of John. Verse 1 says, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Verse 2 says, Early in the morning He came again into the temple. Now for you young people, what is the temple? What's that equivalent of today? What do you think that is? What is the temple? I'm asking this front row here. What's the temple? Jesus went to the temple. What do you think he went to? That's right. He went to the church, isn't it? So Jesus went to church, and all the people were coming to him, and he sat down and he began to teach them. Now the scribes and the Pharisees, that's church leaders, isn't it? The scribes and the Pharisees, they bring this woman to Jesus caught in adultery. I could just picture, I don't know if this is how it was, but to me, it says they brought her in and they set her down. So it, to me, it just almost seems like 
you got a guy on each side, one grabbing her arm here, one grabbing her arm here, and maybe guys all around her, and they're just kind of leading her here into the temple, into the church, and they forcibly sit her down right there in front of Jesus. And she was caught in adultery. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now I want you to picture yourself being that woman. Imagine yourself being the woman. How embarrassing would that be? I want you to think about your own personal life. There's lots of things in your life that only you and God know about. And they would be embarrassing if, if the rest of this church found out about it, wouldn't it? Maybe how you've thought, maybe how you've acted, or things that you've said. And I want you to know that we are this woman, and we can be this woman in this story. And the church leaders were there, and they didn't care about this woman. They were willing to humiliate her for a cause. And they set her, verse 5, I'm sorry, verse 3, it says, They set her in the center of the court. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him. So they laid a trap for Jesus. If Jesus says to Stoner, he's going to be in conflict with the Roman law. Because Roman law did not allow Jews to carry out a death sentence, even if it was on another Jew. You see that? And if he said not to Stoner, he would be unsupportive of Moses' law, wouldn't he? So you see the trap that they've set for him? And Jesus, verse 6, they were saying this to test him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. And Jesus didn't respond with words. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger, he wrote in the ground. So he's writing with his finger. And then they persisted in asking him, so he straightened up. And he said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone. Now there's a miracle that took place here with the the ones that are trying to trap Jesus. He is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone. Jesus answered, disarmed them. And then... He stooped back down, verse 8, and he goes back to writing in the, on the ground, doesn't he? And I want you to notice the miracle that took place. Verse 9, it says, when they heard it. Now what did they hear? Can, can, can you hear me right now if I was to do this? No, you can't. Jesus is writing on the ground with His finger. And what He's writing, they heard. Now, if you were there, you would know that a miracle took place, wouldn't you? If you were the one that was trying to set this trap, you would know that a miracle took place. 
It says, when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone with the woman where she was in the center of the court. It said, if you go back up to verse 7, Jesus says, he is who, he who is without sin. So what they heard was what? They heard their sin. Now, and they began to go out because they knew they were not that guy. Because the qualification for throwing a stone was to be without sin. So naturally, when they heard their sin, Jesus was writing on the ground with His finger, they left. They were either very scared or their conscience was stricken. They felt uneasy for sure. That's why they left. They knew a miracle had been performed. They experienced it. They knew that Jesus knew their deepest, darkest secrets that they were hiding that nobody else knew. The kind of secrets that would embarrass them like they were trying to do to this woman. The kind of secrets that would change their standing in their community. Their position and their leadership in the church. I mean, it would affect them financially. These secrets that they had. And Jesus knew them. And notice how Jesus handled the very people that are trying to trap him. You know, if it was me, I probably would have wrote, uh, you know, so-and-so's an alcoholic and put their name beside it. You know, the ones that were trying to trap me. So-and-so's a, uh, is constantly gossiping about others. So-and-so is addicted to pornography. So-and-so is tearing this up. I mean, you've all been in church and you've all heard the gossip, haven't you? It's real easy to get caught up in that. But that's not what Jesus did. Not to the people that were trying to trap Him. Instead, He was trying to reach their hearts too, I think. And that's why He handled it the way He did. Does, could it be that Jesus wants to reach your enemies' hearts as well, your accusers. You think He does? He loves everybody, doesn't He? And it's hard to see that, especially when you're mad at somebody. That Jesus loves them. And that He cares about them the same way He does you. And the only way that we can actually see that and start to feel sympathy and forgiveness towards that person is if we have the mind of Christ in us. If we have Jesus' heart in us, we start to feel the way He does, don't we? And you know, my past experiences, my guilt, my pride, just like these guys here, the leaders of the church, it gets in the way and I would have left too. Um, I, I get in the way of Jesus wanting to do what He wants to do in my life. And this is why we must be a fanatic. You know? Because Satan has no power over fanatics. He can't tempt you to sin and then make you feel really guilty about it and get you to start believing that you have to change this area of your life or this area of your life before you can come back to God. Because God, you know, wants you to be perfect. You know, does God want to change our lives? Absolutely. Does God expect us to change our lives? No, He doesn't. Can a leopard 
changes spots? Can an Ethiopian change his skin color? Then neither can you, who are accustomed to doing evil, do good, can you? God doesn't expect us to change. He expects us to let Him be there, and He changes us as we submit our will to Him, as we trust Him. You know, a Christ-like character is not something we receive. I'm sorry, a Christ-like, I said that wrong. A Christ-like character is something we receive, not something we achieve. There's a big difference between those two things. You know, I quoted it already, but Jesus says, if you lift me up, I will draw you to me. You'll start to look and think and act more and more like Jesus as you let him draw you to him. If you're a fanatic, you'll be drawn to Jesus all the more when you make a mistake. Your mistakes will not push you away from the great healer. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, I believe. Yeah, it's 1 John 4, 18. I'm almost there. I'll read it to you. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment and the one who fears is not perfected in love. Jesus loves us. You know, I I don't know who said it today, but I heard it today that He's not up there in heaven wanting to condemn us and, and kill us. What would He have came to the earth for if that's what His goal was? You know? Back to our story in chapter... 8 verse 9 of John it says when they heard it they began to go out one by one beginning with the older ones and he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court that's an important detail there is where they're at Jesus in this story in verse 3 it says they set her in the center of the court and now Jesus is left with her at the center of the court Um, do you know what is at the center of the court at the temple somebody Just say, say that nobody heard you. The altar of burnt sacrifice. The altar of burnt sacrifice. What happens there? What happened? Yeah, it, it, the lamb was sacrificed there, right? Behold the lamb of God, John the Baptist. Behold the lamb of God as he's looking at Jesus. As he's standing in the river and he sees Jesus coming, he says, Behold the lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. And here they are. I mean standing right there in the center of the court. And Jesus, verse 10, straightened up and He said to her, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And this is the biggest point in the sermon. It's the biggest point in the story. It's, it's the good news. Jesus, Jesus, or she says to Jesus, No one, Lord. And what does Jesus say to her? He says, I don't condemn you either. Wow. You can come to Jesus right now. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how many promises you've broken. How many times you've messed up. Maybe even this week or this morning. You can come to Jesus right now. And you'll hear those words from Him too. I do not condemn you. This woman was committing adultery. She was actually caught Probably an hour before this took place, she was caught in the very act of adultery. And Jesus is saying to this woman, I 
do not condemn you. That's incredible, isn't it? Have you heard those words from Jesus? Have you thought that? Or or have you, when you make mistakes, you feel condemnation? You feel guilt? I'll tell you, if you feel guilt and condemnation, that's not from God. That is from the devil. Because Jesus says, I do not condemn you. I wonder why it is when we blow it that we feel that way. We feel like we can't come to God until we make things right or we fix it. Why do you think that is? Anybody? Why, how about this question? Why is Jesus able to tell this woman who just committed adultery, I do not condemn you? I mean, after all, isn't He a just God? What does His justice demand? For sin. Death. The wages of sin is death. His justice demands it. She was just caught in adultery and Jesus says, I do not condemn you. Slip over to Romans chapter 8. Paul answers this question deeper. Why Jesus is able to say, I do not condemn you. Look at chapter 8 verse 1 of Romans. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for who? Yeah. Look at verse 3. It says, for what the law could not do, what could the law not do? It couldn't save you. It couldn't keep you from sinning, could it? What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. By sending His own Son... In the likeness of sinful flesh, in other words, the human body. And as an offering for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh. Whose flesh? Somebody in the back row, maybe. Huh? His own. God condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus Christ. Because God knows that if we feel guilt and condemnation, that we won't that that that's, there, that causes a separation, doesn't it? It causes a separation between us and God. And God has His priorities straight. He took care of the first thing so that He could fix the second thing in our life. He took care of the thing that separates us from Him. He removed it. And he didn't just throw it into the depths of the sea. He put it on Jesus Christ. He condemned sin in the flesh of Jesus, he says. My sin and your sin was put on Jesus. Our guilt, our condemnation, our death, our judgment was all placed on him. So that now we could be free to have a loving and open relationship with him. Because beforehand we couldn't have that. Those things separate us from God. And He removed that separation. How how do I paint a picture of the cross to you? I mean, mean, Jesus, if you can picture in your mind the, the crown of thorns that was placed on His head. You know, He's got blood running down His face, down His side, His ears. 
His ears have probably even filled up with blood a little bit. His back's just ripped apart from the whipping that he got. He's standing there half naked so all could see him. And at any moment of this time, he could have saved himself, couldn't he? At any moment, he could have just given the word and been gone. But then he would have failed at his mission, wasn't it? I'm telling you that his love for you and me is what kept him there. You know? He even allowed all of your filth and my filth to be placed on him. And in that moment when he allowed that, he felt our guilt and our condemnation and that separation that it causes from his Father in heaven. Imagine two people that have been together with each other for eternity. The kind of love that they have for each other and at Calvary, they're separated. Not because he deserved it, but because He loves you and me and He wanted to save us. And He wanted to take that on so that we would never have to experience that. That we could have this relationship with Jesus and live with Him for eternity. And eternity can start now for us. You know that? We don't have to wait. First Corinthians 2.16 says, We have the mind of Christ. Slip back over to John chapter 8. Jesus didn't just leave her there by saying, I do not condemn you. He gave her more good news, didn't He? First thing He says is, I do not condemn you either. I've removed that guilt and condemnation and judgment that you should experience by becoming that for you on, on the cross. And now he says, go from now on and sin no more. He says, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. Verse 12, and Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who, notice these action words. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So if we follow him, We'll walk in what? Yeah, we'll walk in the light. And He is the light, right? We'll do His will. Not because we're scared, because that's been removed, right? Perfect love casts out all fear. We'll do it out of love. Jesus continues to teach here in this story and we're not going to read it all, but I do want to slip down to verse 31. And we're going to expound more on this uh, go from now on and sin no more that Jesus says in verse 11. How is that possible? Verse 31. Notice these action words. Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in what? If you continue in my word, then you are a true disciple of mine. So if we don't continue in his word, are we true disciples? No. He says, if you do, though, you are a true disciple of mine. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Free from what? Sin. Sin. 
And you can see there, they're, they're like, we're not a slave. How can you say that we'll be free? We're Abraham's descendants and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is what? Yeah, you're a servant or a slave of it. The slave does not remain in the house forever, though. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Is that not good news? He says, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me. Why? He says, because my word has no place in you. Now I want you to start noticing how many times he mentions the word word, W-O-R-D. He says it in verse 31. He says, if we continue in his word, then we're a true disciple. Verse 37, he says, you seek to kill me because my word is not in you. It's not making progress in you. Look down at verse 43. He says, Why do you not understand what I am saying? What's the reason? He says, You can't hear my word. Verse uh, 47. He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. Now that's pretty straightforward, right? If you're hearing God's Word, it's because you're of God. And if you're not hearing His Word, it's sad. It's because you're not of God. You can be attending church and not hear His Word. You know that? You can be reading the Bible and not hear His Word too. Jesus told a group in John chapter 6, He says, "...you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have life." He says, it's these that testify of me and you're unwilling to come to me so that you can have life. They weren't hearing His Word either. Look at verse 51. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. So how can we hear His Word, have His Word in us, and keep His Word? How, how do we do that? It's not just simply reading the Word, is it? You know, if you look at John chapter 3, this is the story of Nicodemus when he came to Jesus in the middle of the night. And Jesus told him he had to be born again. And... Nicodemus didn't understand that he had to die. He didn't understand what that why he was like that. And the reason why is because he was in his mind he was doing the XYZ that he thought he needed to do to save him. And if you look at that story, you know the only tangible thing that Jesus gave him if you look at uh Verse 7 and 8, he says, Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Verse 8, he says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from and where it is going. So is everyone who is born of Spirit. And Nicodemus says, Well, how can these things be? And How can I hurry the Spirit up? How can I help Him? And uh, the only tangible thing that Jesus gave him is in verse... 
14, he says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. We have to lift Christ up in our life. We have to see what Jesus did for us on Calvary. We have to make that personal in our life. And when we do, it'll open our hearts up to say, hey, you know what? I don't want to do my thing today, but I want to do your thing. I'm willing to let you lead my life today. That makes us a fanatic. If we start beginning with Jesus Christ and Him crucified and ending it in our studies, we will become fanatics too. I want to ask you a question. I don't want you to answer out loud, but I want you to think about it. Do you spend time with Jesus every day? How close of a friend is He to you? You know, uh, we often look at our relationship with Jesus and how it benefits us, don't we? That's most of the time the way we see it. Those of you with kids would understand this, this a little bit better, but could you imagine your kid not wanting to spend time with you? That's the other side of the coin. You know? Jesus came to this earth and died on the Calvary so that He could have a relationship with you and me. And often we are saying we are, through our actions, we're saying we're too busy for that. Can you imagine the heartache and the pain that He feels when we do that? I couldn't imagine. My three kids are sitting right there and I couldn't imagine any of them not wanting to spend time with me. I mean, they're in my world. I know your kids are too. Are you willing to be drawn by Jesus? Are you willing to spend time with Him? Are you willing to make a commitment to Him to say, hey, if you're not spending that time with Him, to say, hey, I want to make a commitment to you. I'm feeling the conviction of your Spirit today that I need that in my life. I don't want to be playing church anymore. I want to be serious about my relationship with you. And if that's your conviction, if if the Holy Spirit's putting that on your heart, I want you, I invite you to bow your heads and ask Him right now to make that more of a reality and to teach you how to make that a reality in your life. To spend time with Him, to lift Him up, and to be drawn by Him so that you can start looking more and more like Him. Let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, it's a great privilege to be called a child of yours. And it's a privilege, Father, that we do take lightly far too often. And we're sorry for it. We ask that that you become priority number one in our life. We're asking that you draw us to us. We're asking that uh, you speak to our minds and our hearts on a daily basis, that this is not something that we forget when we leave here, but it's something that we hold on to, that we wake up with uh, Sunday morning and Monday morning uh, to say, hey, I'd like to spend a little time with you, Brian, and that we open our hearts up and say, okay, I want to spend time with you too. My prayers for myself and everyone here that we do this because we know, Father, we'll be happier. We know that we'll get to know you better. And it is our prayer that we have a more meaningful and deeper relationship with you. And we ask each 
I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.